Today is the 17th of June, and my name is Timothy Berkela, and I'm going to introduce Paul Jacob, who is going to regale you with the big stories of the day, for this is This Week in Common Sense with Paul Jacob. Here we are. Yes, here we are. And this week ended sadly, although somehow I don't feel all that sad. I feel very lucky, but uh, my mom passed away this week. Talked to a a friend from school whose father passed away this week, the day before my mom. And um, my mom was 88 years old, uh, uh, suffering from Alzheimer's, which had progressed progressed, uh, pretty far. And, um, but, you know, the best person I've ever known uh, and, and someone who, you know, just has made such a difference in everything that, that uh, I am and uh, want to be. Uh, and so that, you know, what the, on Friday, uh, I, I basically, uh, as we were trying to figure out what we're doing for Friday, we, we uh, found out this news and, and, uh, I immediately thought back to a piece I had done in, in 2015 when Hillary Clinton first announced she was running for president, where I suggested, you know, it sounds like, you know, we're going to have a woman president. Let's let's find the best woman. <laughs> and uh, I thought I would start by suggesting my mom, who uh, even then was uh, was uh, probably didn't see herself as young enough to be president. And, uh, and certainly was never foolish enough to actually run and try to get caught with the job. But uh, uh, anyway, it was a fun piece uh, when I did it. And it was, uh, it was fun to remember. And, and uh, my mom was very political, uh, not in a radical way. Not in a, you know, I don't think she got up every morning and thought politics. She got up every morning and thought she had six kids and and uh, they needed to do this, this, that, and and this. Um, but cared a lot about politics and issues. And, and I, I wouldn't say instilled that in me so much as it was there. And uh, I, I can remember going to different events and talks and so on. Uh, uh, with my mom and my dad too sometimes, but especially my mom. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, I was affected by political things, I think at a, at a pretty young age, as were my brothers and sisters, because, you know, we were all into that. My dad was certainly very political, ran for office when I was a little kid in New Jersey. So I moved when I was eight, he ran for some township office and, um, <clears throat> and they didn't win, luckily. <laughs> And uh, but and and my first uh, first uh, chance at stardom was in 1968. In that that summer, we moved to Arkansas from outside from New Jersey, outside of New York, kind of in between New York and Philadelphia. And uh, my dad had gotten transferred, and and uh, we went down to the Nixon re-election or or not re-election election uh, campaign headquarters in downtown Little Rock. And, and we got our, the great thing about it is they had free Cokes and hot dogs. So as a kid, I'm thinking, man, this is great. This is for me. <laughs> and, uh, but we got our picture on the news carrying a sign, Nixon's the one, uh, you know, down the streets of, uh, of, of Little Rock, Arkansas. And what's 
kind of more interesting about it is that by 1972, my parents who had been Republican committeemen in New Jersey had in essence left the Republican party, didn't really, you know, were more Republican than Democrat, but were not, did not consider themselves Republicans. And uh, largely over the same things that caused the start of the Libertarian Party, which were wage and price controls, things that they just saw were obvious. You know, who on earth could think that government has this power in the economy to set the price of everything? Um, you know, it's it it, it was, uh, and that you know that certainly I think has an effect on on kids who can see that. You know, hey, this was this is the these are the good guys. Oh, maybe not, uh, which opens up the possibility that maybe my side is not always right. <laughs> maybe it's not even my side. Uh, but uh, but that was kind of early, early memory from uh, from political stuff. And and uh, really all the the kids are I, I joked. I've joked with people through the years that that uh, you know at our dinner table as a kid there were only two subjects were allowed religion and politics mm -hmm. and uh, and and my parents I never saw them as like liberal or or radical uh, in any way but they were serious and consistent and and so you could as a kid you could you could take that concept out. And and go all down the line with it, and and test it out. And and there was, you know, there was some intellectual honesty uh, that was that was kind of refreshing. I, I you know I, I I think sometimes parents of like past eras are are uh, especially dads are always kind of seen as as you know they were huffy you know didn't care about kids or something. And, and that was certainly not my experience. I think, I think dads were more engaged when I was a kid than they are now that I'm a dad and, and maybe, I don't know, granddad or something, whatever comes after that, when you're still really young though. Uh, and, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so, so uh, there's my ramblings to begin this, but we, I, I did have on Friday, a uh, memoriam uh, piece for my mom and uh and huge baseball fan. There's also another piece, and I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned her in, in other pieces from time to time, but there's another piece called Motherhood, Baseball, and Life, which was May 13th, 2019. Uh, and, and folks may want to take a look at that. It's, it's really more about baseball and, and so on, but I, I tell it in the context of my mom and I being big Detroit Tigers fans. And uh, it's about property rights and and uh, and honor. Property rights and honor. It's worth looking up. It is, and it's motherhood, baseball, and life. Okay. And then, of course, the the one today was off of one I did in 2015. My mom for president. Um, and uh, so that's that's another one. We, you know, this week otherwise was sadly uh, too much like. Like other weeks, um, uh, we started out with disarmoring the public, and and this was about a uh, New York uh, law that is going to take away armor 
and protective gear that you could get to avoid being shot and killed because sometimes shooters use that. And it's, you know, it's just kind of the classic government thing that just pass a law and then you've done your due diligence and everything's going to be hunky-dory without any real idea about whether that's going to work in the real world. And then when evidence comes forward that, no, it's not going to work in the real world, ignoring that evidence and possibly suppressing it so nobody else can see it either. This particular law is like a lot of laws that, you know, might sound good if, if you're fairly naive for five, six, eight seconds, and then, you know, don't sound so good. And I was talking to a friend today who had, who had called actually to, to uh, offer condolences about my mom. And, and we got talking, he's very liberal and so on, <clears throat> but, but, uh, and much more in favor, not much more in favor of gun control. And I'm not in favor of almost all, any of those things. But I mentioned to her one of the things about the current debate and the current reality of Washington is that these debates and these bills are going to pass whenever there's some catastrophe that somebody in Washington thinks they can take advantage of. That's what they're all about. That's the way they're thinking. And, you know, they're not thinking about everybody else's daily life. They're thinking about their own. And that's when it's time to do that, when I can get in front of the cameras and so on and so on. And one of the biggest issues has been this, we got to expand background checks. But rarely do we find that expanding background checks would have stopped the killing. We do find that having a database from which to check backgrounds would have in several cases of mass shootings stopped the shooter from getting a gun, or at least stopped them from getting the gun they used. And part of this is that the military has been horrible. It's just that there was the case in, I think it was uh, whatever Springs, the place in Texas. Sorry, I, I don't remember the name right off. But, but the, the guy had a domestic violence uh, charge and conviction in the military that would have stopped him from getting the gun he used. But the military doesn't really bother to send over that information to the database. And, and you know, woe is me to be the guy thinking about how the government can more effectively build all their databases, because I'm generally not in favor of those things. But it just, I just know. And, and I'm, I'm, I'd love to be proven wrong, but I just know that all the people who want to expand the background checks as much as possible and are on television talking about it and in fundraising letters saying, help support the cause because that's what I'm trying to do. Don't spend two seconds actually trying to prevent people from being killed by doing the extra work of going, hey, now, wait a second. Let's get the, let's get the agency that does this and let's bring them for hearings and let's find out if they're really going to get this information and let's propose the law that says the, the military is going to suffer this or that if they don't do it or offer this carrot. But worry about, I mean, it's nice to have a computer database that would stop would-be mass murderers. But if it's just a name only, it's only so much comfort. It would be great if it was actually there 
to stop mass murderers from killing people that we love. And, and in the same way that people want to throw around this, somehow, if you disagree with me on this issue, you want people to die and you don't care and you're evil in every way, shape and form. I don't suggest this about the folks on the other side of this issue, but I do suggest that folks in Congress, like folks everywhere, are interested in what makes their boats go really fast and not so interested in what makes somebody else's boat go fast and, and, or float their boats or whatever. And, and, and so here, they care more about scoring the points and getting the legislative win then the harder work of actually making the bureaucracy do the job. And, and so this, it, it's so sad to see issues like this that are life and death issues to get blown up into even more graphic life and death and slaughter and oh my God, and we know how to solve this problem. And then to realize that no, they know how to, to play and how to get on TV about solving the problem, they don't really care enough to try to solve the problem. Well, that's certainly true of almost everything in government. That's the it's sort of the ex efficiency problem in government, right? Is you know just like uh, the they have their goals, not our goals. That's just kind of an obvious problem. The more I hear about it, and just even as listening to you talk, I'm thinking I don't want that database. Because that database, as soon as they have it, that prevents people from getting guns, uh, allegedly, is going to be used against political enemies. So we're going to be having so-and-so can't get a gun because he voted the wrong way or he said the wrong thing on the Internet. And that is precisely the direction that Democrats are now heading. So why would I want to do anything they want? I wouldn't want to do anything they want. And in fact, as I've said before, I, I think that the real spur for People who are unstable to do something so horrific and pointless as killing a mass of people is the debate itself. The more we talk about the debate, the more it shines a light on those mad terroristic activities. And so the debate itself upgrades terrorism and madness, and it really upgrades it to something that's significant. So a person can go down in history. Um, you know, kill 20 kids and change the, and be in the history books forever. And that's not even a problem with the media. This is a problem with the Democratic Party. It's not, it's just that the Republicans are awful, but this is the Democrats. The Democrats are the ones who freak out and they're the ones who are adding fuel to the fire because they are basically saying, oh, we're going to have to get rid of the Second Amendment. That is the end of all this. There's no pretense that this is just about databases, in my opinion. They are, they they really are. They've said over and over, I mean, many of them have said, we're coming after your guns. Because it's upgrading the focus on mad terrorists, it makes mad terrorism more attractive to the people who are borderline mad. I just don't think this is good at and, all. And, and I don't think you can blame society or blame the people who didn't do it instead of blaming the people who do it. But I do think that 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 society is a little more disconnected than it used to be. It's, it's funny because it's kind of urbanized, but people get in their own little cubicles and, you know, you can be lonely in a place where there's two people per square mile, or you can be lonely in a place where there's millions of people living on top of each other. And, and people, 
you know, we're social creatures. Who who to thunk it? Not me, because I'm a big individualist. It's, you know, as I've gotten older, I've kind of realized. So yeah, I guess we really are. Even me. And, and but but I think that it's it's easy for people to get to get compartmentalized in unhealthy ways. And and it has, I think, very little to do with this evil philosophy or that evil. I mean, it doesn't matter so much. I think what the the real extremist, what philosophy they grab hold of, it's that they're willing to kill people. And most of these people, of course, who are doing these mass murders, they're not, it's not like a political, they've really calculated all the political part of it. They're sick and twisted and, and in deep, deep trouble and trauma and, and would like to spew it on a lot of other people and make them bleed. And that, that's not a, you know, that's not, that's not a political thing to be solved. That's a social uh, uh, issue, I think, to be solved. And, and that's not how we think about it. The first thing is that we need some stupid regulation by a bunch of crooks in Washington. And that's just, you know, my goodness, there's a lot of problems you can't solve if that's the only way to solve them. There is the back of everything between the Democrats and Republicans and just everything. There's, there's the difference between uh, urban life and suburban life and rural life, uh, which is a huge issue. It goes back to the ancient Sumerians when we have records of people debating uh, issues. And when you put people together in masses, they are social creatures, but they behave and start behaving in certain different ways and people get afraid. Uh, and uh, it's an interesting thing that we should study more. I mean, it has been studied. Rat studies have shown if you start congregating congregating rats in closed quarters uh they behave very differently than they are free in the range and uh this is this is an interesting problem and i think people should think about it more and a lot of this is caused i think by increasing urbanization and uh so it is interesting to see we live in a world where the elites want people to be in cities you know 100 years ago or so more people lived in the country than the cities but now it's changed but there's a push to get people even further out of the country which i think is the exact wrong way to go especially if broadband continues to be a, 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 a civilizing force that is if everybody in this country can talk to each other across the world the need for cities goes down well think about it in our in our in the last 20 years any movie you can see almost in New York City, you can see in, in the most rural area of the country be with different services and, and the Internet and so on sure, and so on. Sure. You know, uh, we have a, a unifying script this this week, um, and that's meet the personal interest. Uh, and, and this was about a poll uh, that found that um, Republicans and Democrats agree on something. Uh, they agree that the country is on the wrong track, but more importantly, they agree that if there's one thing that they have in common, it's this, that they don't trust Washington to fix it. We could title this week's thing, is this a smart electorate or what? Because Everybody knows that. We're certainly wise enough to realize that. And they compared, this is Chuck Todd he, he, on Meet the Press and uh, not my favorite guy, 
but he comes out with this and he's he's kind of you know boy there's this lack of trust and of course i'm thinking yeah. you know that yeah. that lack of trust was earned you know every percentage point but this particular poll compared trust in government to october after the september 11th terrorist attack in new york and in washington and i guess in a field in shanksville pennsylvania um or at least that was that was the comeback but uh and an interesting place i've been there it's uh, it was it was worth going anyway uh, i digress at that time, solid majorities of both Republicans and Democrats, that was Republican government then, the Congress was Republican, the president was Republican, um, and Democrats, 63%, I think something like that, over 60%, uh, trusted government to you know, do the right thing, that sort of thing. And, um, and Republicans as well. And now it was 9% of Republicans uh, and and uh, uh, and Democrats were like twenty four percent, and they they also found a change in the way they looked at why people run for office, with the majority in the past saying, you know, hey, they run for office because they want to, you know, they want to do right, they want to make the world a better place, and um, and now it's. Uh, a full 65%, this is, I'm, I'm quoting from Chuck Todd explaining this poll, a full 65% think most candidates run for office to serve their personal interests, nothing else. And this is across the board, 66% of Democrats believe this and, and Democrats control the Congress. So this is the controlling party believes this as well as 63% of Republicans. And the sad thing is, it's true. That's why they believe it, um, because they 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 do serve their self-interest. Now, this doesn't mean that they don't they don't want the public to do okay too. <laughs> you know, after they've after they've satisfied themselves, they don't mind if we pick up a few crumbs here and there. Um, and maybe they're even more magnanimous than that at first. Um, but the, there is something going on, I think. And I don't get to it in this particular piece. Uh, uh, but there's something that has gone on for years where we've believed that further professionalizing legislators um, and paying them really the best salaries to attract the best people and then allowing them while they're sitting there to give themselves all kind of extra perks. There's a lot of legislatures where they make an okay salary, but they make more in their per diem and other bennies than they make in their salary. And, and this creates a situation in which people serving are serving themselves to a better job <clears throat> with better benefits. Wherever where the wife goes, hey, I like this new job you've got. Instead of you're doing what? We're going to have to suffer with less money for how long? And of course, it could be reversed. It could be the husband and the wife, but whatever. It's, it's the situation in which, is it a better deal for you or is it not a better deal? And it, it's not a, a, a love of suffering. But if people are running for public office because it's a better deal for them, 
it's a better gig, it's a better job, the pay's better, the benefits are better, then it's not public service so much. It's climbing the ladder. And there's a difference. And I think that if you think about it, it may sound simplistic. It's not so simplistic, or maybe it is, but it penetrates and it, and it has a big impact on the type of person that is in public office and the attitude they have and the and the, that attitude meets the incentive which is hey this is about me climbing the ladder and getting a better job i'm trying to get the promotion i'm trying to get my salary raised as opposed to geez i'm trying to i'm trying to make the best rules for society but i don't know how long i can stay here cuz cuz this is not i'm i'm not gaining personally from being here. There's a lot of lip service paid to that, but it doesn't happen out there. These legislators are doing just fine. But they make most of their money, you know, on the side, right? It, it's I mean, a lot of their money. They seem to mysteriously become millionaires as soon as they get into politics. Uh, and uh, not, not all of them, many of them, you know, marry into money. I mean, you have John Kerry and you have Nancy Pelosi who are married to millionaires. Uh, so they're, their uh, source of their money is pretty clear and there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, but uh, I don't think there's anything you want to do about that, but uh, the others uh, who gain so much from how they, the insider deals they make and so that sort of the information they have. Uh, yes. That, that's a real problem. Uh, your solution to this piece, uh, you should mention what the solution is. It's term limits. And, uh, and it would change I think the the attitude that that people have it was certainly uh, I don't know that it would create you know a complete sea change in every moral fiber of uh, politicians' beings, but it would it would change the incentive structure a lot, and it would it would just allow the person who came to do the right thing to not feel like hey my whole career is based on on me going along to get along on me not, you know, raising my hand and saying this, you're full of it. Um, and, and we saw some of that, I think in the nineties with some of the, some of the congressmen who came in and who had limited themselves. This was before us term limits came up with any sort of self limit. We, we had a brief period where we pushed to try to get people to limit themselves. This is after the Supreme court had struck down the limits that were imposed by 24 different state laws. And um, it, it did not work too well because, of course, they were politicians. So anytime they could weasel out of it, they did. And most of our activists kind of realized that. And, and uh, you know, we didn't think this would work too well. Um, but what got us excited and deluded us into thinking it might work uh, was the fact that the, the behavior of the guys who ran in 92 and 94, uh, who said, I'm going to serve just three terms, uh, who, some of whom slept in their office for like two or three nights a week and then went home. They didn't even want to have a place in DC that it was, it, you know, there was this whole uh, revolt against professionalism and careerism. And those guys behaved a lot differently. They were willing to to take on power. They were willing to be attacked. And, um, and I mean, that, 
part of it is that as an individual, if you come to Congress and you play the game and you do what the leadership wants, they're going to they're going to have money for you. They're going to show you how to get the fundraisers done. They're going to, you know, it's going to be a good life. You know, if, if you live that's the kind of life you want. Um, and and so it's and, and of course, if you go against them, you've got the other party attacking you and you've got your own party kneecapping you every chance they get. And and so it's we always kind of felt like we would elect some good people out there. But that as soon as they got to Congress, they're in a they're in a swamp. They're in a place where they're just going to just get gnawed on constantly and what can we do to protect them we're not there we're not in the inner sanctums and and so it's it's another reason i like a, a side benefit of having a lot of congressmen so that instead of having districts that were seven hundred sixty thousand, in which you needed huge piles of cash and all kinds of connections with the status quo to get elected in the first place if you had districts that were thirty thousand people and where you could walk the district and you could knock every door and, and you could compete with big money. Um, I think that you would, you would see a lot more uh, folks who were willing to, to truly represent their, their people for a short period of time, but you could almost be forced then to, to do voting, to do things from your district. And, and it would, it would and like any sort of system, is reinforcing the current system reinforces the centralization because everybody goes from where they are and is in Washington, where all the lobbyists are and where they worry more about what the New York Times or the Washington Post says about them than their paper back home. And, and that gets changed if they're voting in their district. And if the discussion about national issues isn't about what's happening in Washington, but what's happening right where you live. And uh, that it, it's a different, I, I think it's a, it's a, a real sea change and, and one that is desperately needed. So the other two pieces of the week, uh, the coffee connection and before that, uh, now a straight answer, or that's now a straight answer. Those are about technology. And I, maybe we'll just uh, advise people to, uh, Check it out using the technology they have in, on their computers and uh, go there and read them. Eh? Yes. Well, the coffee connection, just know that uh, China may be spying on you through your coffee pot and find out how uh, uh, at that piece. And then, of course, uh, um, I do I do think that uh, the other piece uh, is is another shoe dropping. You know, we've had we've had a couple of stories that we've. Uh, talked about that, you know, it's not like you have all the knowledge in the world. We're, we're really looking at how our society deals with them. And, and one, which we may have a follow-up story coming because uh, the World Health Organization has started to kind of pay more credence to the fact that, yeah, it may have been a lab leak, which is just almost laughable. It's not almost, it's laughable. Uh, but that's, that's a story that we've covered a bunch where the it seems like the entire establishment from media to big science to big government is actively hiding the truth and and making up conspiracy theories while they're accusing people of having conspiracy theories 
uh, they're conspiring to produce conspiracy theories that aren't there and then accusing people of being conspiratorialists but, uh, or theorists or whatever. And, and, uh, and then the, the other one is UFOs. And there, there's a whole lot we don't know. But the one thing that is just crystal clear is that our government hasn't told us things that they clearly should have told us. And for a long time, they pretended this was nothing when it's clearly something. And, and that's, that's a big deal. And this particular story is NASA basically saying, you know, yes, these, there's something out there and we're going to start looking. And uh, it's kind of a big deal. But the point partly is that in another sense, it's not because they're not telling us what they didn't tell us before. That's the weird (laughs) thing about the whole UFO disclosure thing is that everybody's talking about UFOs now and now we're going to, you know, look at it scientifically. It's not as if it hadn't been done before, but they're not talking about all the times they didn't, all the denials in the past. uh, It's just very weird. And then concluding with Michio Kaku is uh, the astrophysicist uh, is, is truly an interesting interesting uh, development because he's point blank said i mean as you say here he's point blank said ufos are real uh and this is somebody who you know two or three years ago or five years ago and he's one of the most famous physicists around uh would have you know just given a long funny answer of how ufos aren't a big deal right that, that would have been that would have been a thing but uh, now he's talking about real events in the skies that are we have telemetry data on them from multiple different types of what type of data? Uh, telemetry data, what the things are doing in the sky, uh, according to various types of scientific instruments like FLIR, radar. Uh, they have all these various ways of looking oh. at them. And he has the information because a, a, a private outfit has engaged in a week long study that and they went on the California coast and looked out where there's been a lot of reports over the years, like for the last 70 yeah. years or more. And, uh, and they found them, they saw them, they recorded them, and they're coming up with a documentary and they're going to have reports. Uh, and Kaku says these are real. Now, as you say, though, this is not new. Same thing was said by Jacques Vallée in the 1960s, as a French yeah, scientist, yeah. and General Twining back in the 1940s. Uh, there's that memo that just sitting there in the internet that looks real. That no one's ever denied it. The government has never denied that the, the General Twining memo is real, and the General Twining memo is quite... that the one that had aliens that they that they that the government had aliens. That no, no, had... no. That it, it's just saying that what UFOs are real objects, not illusory or hallucinated or uh, fantasized or dreamed or anything like that, and that they behave in these ways that we can't explain, and. Uh, that they were looking into it and that that he was not dismissing it at all because the government's always been telling us that, that, you know, we don't know anything and we don't have any good data and they don't seem to exist. I mean, uh, my my favorite example is the Condon report, uh, which was one of the major UFO, you know, know, studies that that was hired by the University of Colorado. Was that it? Uh, Anyway, but Condon, the, uh, the lead gave this, uh, wrote the, wrote the introduction to the, you know, just basically gave the, the, the executive summary to, and he said, there's nothing to it. I mean, basically he said, this is all just, you know, it's, it's basically nonsense. That was his basic point of view. And then the rest of the report did uh, belies that completely. And almost no one read the rest of the report. This is actually, you can, you can go, to, this is one of the things that's so, so galling about this issue to me is that 
there's so much of it is like that is that they say one thing and then they say another and they don't talk about the other. I mean, just, it's just very odd. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I'm very interested in this subject. Um, I mean, I, I, I showed you the, the, gave you the link to the Glockner uh, thing. I mean, Glockner was just contemptuous of the NASA, which I think is hilarious. And Glockner is a UFO nut, uh, as they say. And uh, I guess I'm a UFO nut now too, since I think it's not nutty. It's a very interesting subject because it's kind of like, I'd like to know what's going on and then who else might be here. And, and of course, and, you know, as we, as we kind of around the world, people are, are coming up with new hypersonic weapons and so on. You, you kind of, and, and we're going to have all kinds of drone warfare all over the skies. So, you know, we're, we are, it just feels like mankind is at kind of a tipping point in a lot of different ways and talk about a, another variable to throw into the mix. Um, anyway, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but the, 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 the funny part is that the one thing that we know for certain, like with so much in this world is we're being lied to by the people that we pay to tell us the truth. And there we are. <laughs>